Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Robin. And you're listening to Bowel Moments. The podcast sharing real talk about the realities of IBD. Served on the rocks. rocks. This week, we talked to Adam Finkelstein. Adam was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when he was only two years old. We talked to him about what it was like to live with IBD for all of those years. We talked to him about the book he just wrote for other children living with inflammatory bowel disease called Up and Adam. We talked to him about his subsequent book that he'd like to write. And we talked to him about how all of this and all of his experiences have led him to medical school and his desire to become a surgeon. We had such a fun conversation with Adam. I know you'll love him. Cheers. Hi, everybody. This is Robin. Welcome to Wild Moments. Hey, guys. This is Alicia, and we are so excited to talk to this guest. So welcome, Adam Finkelstein. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be on. We are very happy to have you, but our first very unprofessional question is, what are you drinking? I'm always drinking water. I always have a bottle with me. Very good. I have aspirations to drink more water every year. It's my New Year's resolution, and every year I fail. So you'd think that I would like do better, but I never do. I'll work on it. Robin, what about you? I'm drinking alone. I'm drinking a mojito. Ooh, lovely. It's so refreshing. I didn't make it, so it makes it even more delicious. Yes. Even better. Well, I am drinking water, but with a little bit of blackberry lemonade in it too to make me drink it because I hate to drink water. So a little bit of flavor in there. Well, Adam, again, we are so excited to hear your story. So without further ado, next question for you is please tell us your IBD story. Oh, great. I'd be happy to. I'm 25 year old years old now and I was diagnosed with IBD with ulcerative colitis when I was two years old. And so it's really something that I've had all my life and I haven't known much different. And so growing up, I didn't know that other kids didn't have IBD. And I remember there was one time I asked one of my friends why I didn't see him at the nurse's office to take medicine because I didn't realize he didn't go to take medicine. But when I was diagnosed, I don't have too many memories because I was so young. But my parents say that it took maybe six to eight months. Uh, When you're that young, doctors look for certain diseases that maybe could be impacting a patient particular to that age. And IBD is very uncommon at that age. And so that wasn't one of the top things on the list, I imagine. But through further testing, they ended up finding that it was ulcerative colitis. And so then fast forward to elementary school age, I remember maybe once or twice a year, I'd miss a week of school due to being sick. And then we adjust the dosages of the medication. And then I'd feel better afterward and return to school. Then in sixth grade, I had a flare that was kind of typical to the other ones that lasted two weeks. And then I was in school for one day. And then I wasn't feeling well again. So then I went to the doctor. And I remember he said, bring an extra change of clothes, because you might have to stay overnight to be monitored. And then one night turned into a couple. And then I was getting sick. I needed nutrients through a PICC line. And so then eventually I had surgery, I had my colon removed, and I went from being very sick to the road to recovery. And then there's two other associated procedures that I had a couple of maybe six, four and six months later. And then I've been pretty well since then. And that inspired my career in medicine. And then I started medical school four years ago, and I'm about to graduate now. And so it's been an exciting journey. And the doctors I've had, I've really looked up to, and I hope to be like them in the future. And then because I had this unique experience as a kid, I really wanted to create a resource that other kids could use. And I think at first, I because I didn't know any better, I didn't know that my experiences were unique. And I thought it was just something that everybody does. And as I got a little older, and I'd go to the doctor, and I'd see kids might be having a tougher time dealing with things like blood draws, I realized that what I was doing 
was really being really brave and that I'd go get my blood drawn and I'd stick out my arm and act like it was nothing. And so then I associated going to the doctor with pride. And anytime I would have to go for a test or a colonoscopy, I would kind of almost have, I would have a smile on my face because I think, oh, well, I can handle this and I'm a tough kid. I can do this. And I'd, of course, look forward to the warm blanket that they give you before the scopes and the graham crackers and applesauce afterward. So it was always a good experience. Oh, and so then because of all this, I wanted to make a children's picture book about my experiences growing up with IBD. And the idea I got for the picture book started when I had surgery. And I got a book about what it was like to have surgery and have a stoma. And in this book, there were little snippets that kids would write one liners about I had this surgery like you and now I play soccer and now I play basketball. And it showed the picture of the healthy young patient. And I was always curious what happened to them afterward and what their story was. And so I imagine other students and patients would be curious also. And so I expanded on this and wrote a whole book about it. And I hit on pretty common points because I know IBD and Crohn's and colitis can present very differently and patients have very diverse experiences. But I wanted to hit on very common things like what it's like to miss school or what it's like for people to ask family other students ask about why you're out or what it's like to be stuck on the toilet and kind of fall behind or maybe be worried about falling behind in school or missing activities and putting a positive spin on everything. The positive spin wasn't something I did in hindsight for the book. It was really how I felt in the moment way back when I was dealing with all this. And at the end of the book, there are some discussion questions um, that parents can ask their kids, like, what's something that you do that makes you proud in regard to your IBD? Or for me, going to the nurse's office was a huge thing that I would do every day for medicine. And so I would ask patients in the book, who's someone at school that you can trust to go to for help as a tried away to stimulate discussion. And this past week was really my first opportunity to read the book aloud to young patients. I was a counselor at Camp Oasis. And it was really an incredible experience overall. The camp, we can talk about that later too. But in downtime, I would go to the different cabins representing the different grades and read the book. And I thought they would uh, relate to the book, but I was really blown away by how much the students would resonate with the different topics. And one of the topics that surprised me the most was about other kids asking about why you were missing school. There was one cabin where the whole time um, we talked maybe 20 minutes with third and fifth graders about this about how they say, oh, I was sick with IBD or I was sick with a stomach problem because other kids don't know digestion at all really to begin with. And so explaining what's wrong exactly can be difficult. And so leaving it kind of vague is important. And even me, when I told other people about what IBD was, it was during seventh grade biology class and we were learning about the gut. And so it was kind of an appropriate time. I thought I wanted to wait until they knew how the gut functioned appropriately to say, oh, this is where it went wrong with me. And that was a year after my surgery. So I think that put into context why I'd been out a couple of months from school. That is amazing. I just want to call back to, we talk about and joke about the propofol nap and how we love that with the colonoscopy, but we don't give enough love to that warm blanket and the graham crackers and applesauce post. I'm just saying the warm blanket should get as much love as the propofol nap. I mean, that is fair, especially I think a warm blanket that somebody else brings you and graham crackers that somebody else brings you is definitely high on the list of what makes it special, I would imagine. Also, the fact that you haven't eaten for a while also makes those graham crackers amazing. Adam, I love that you created this children's book. Is this something you had already aspired to do? Or where did the idea come from to create the children's book? Other than you said you had, you know, when you were doing surgery, you got one, but like, had you ever considered it before that? 
No, not really. That was, I'd always been interested in where the other kids kind of went from the book that I was talking about from that pamphlet. But then only in college did I really try to think about ways that I could create a resource for other kids. And I know everything's online now, but I really like the kind of old school handheld, something that you can bring places and hold in your hands and look at. And I thought a book would be a great opportunity for that. And I wrote the script for the book in not much time, maybe a couple of months. And I really enjoyed doing it. It was nice and reflective, I thought. And even I'd recommend for other people just writing down uh, your story, even if it's short, just because it's a nice exercise. But I really wasn't an artist. And I don't like consider myself an artist at all now. And I'd say my art ability is the level of an elementary schooler. And so I kind of sat on the text for over a year. And I asked maybe one or two people, kind of random people online, if they would be interested in illustrating. And I think they would be. And they weren't. I really wanted the book to get done. And I realized that the only way for it to get done was if I did the illustrations. And so I got a 12 pack of crayons and kind of found some clip art online to do a little tracing against the window. And then over the course of a year, I'd worked on the pages and it's about 30 pages of content. So we haven't said the name of your book. So make sure you say the name of your book right now, please. Oh, okay. Uh, the book I made is called Up and Adam, A Patient's Experience on Winning with IBD. And it's available on the Barnes & Noble website. And all the profits go to IBD organizations. I really wanted to give back to the different organizations. Um, And the goal of the book is to create a resource for young patients to find a role model that they can relate to and to show them that they're not alone. And second, to give them tips and tricks on dealing with their disease. And something else I think is very important, we talked about the warm blanket and everything before colonoscopies, but it's important, especially for pediatric patients, is forming positive associations with going to the doctor. And for me, I joke that the Oban Pen, which is one of the bakeries um, in the hospital, was the reason why I wanted to become a doctor because going to the hospital, I'd always look forward to getting a cookie from there afterward every single time I get the same thing and listening <laughs> to music I liked on the car ride over. And so going to the doctor was this big event. And I always thought that was an experience unique to me. But then at Camp Oasis with other young IBD patients, they're always saying, oh yeah, well, after our doctor's appointment or after my infusion, my parents always take me to this restaurant or take me for this snack. And I realized that for a lot of other kids too, uh, who don't mind going to the doctor as much, they have this positive thing to look forward to afterward. Yeah, I think that's a great idea for parents to hear as like, how do you make some positive associations for these really, like you said, scary and intimidating things that are happening. So I think that's, that's really cool. Well done to your parents for that. Are you an only child? Are you a sibling? Do you have siblings? Uh, no, I'm actually an only child. Oh, okay. uh, but growing up, I lived on a cul-de-sac with a lot of other kids. And so if ever we wanted to throw a ball or do anything, we just run next door and ring the doorbell. And then we'd get a game going. So and I had a dog growing up also. So that was a really good environment. <laughs> that is interesting because I was curious if like, you know, other siblings were had also had to have the experience of coming to the hospital with you. But it sounds like that was not the case for you. I'm curious what sort of reaction you're getting from the book. It sounds like it was super positive from the kids at Camp Oasis. But are you hearing from other kids, other families or or pediatric providers about the book? Uh, Yes, there's some other families and providers I've been talking to that like the book a lot. And there's one family in particular that I was put in touch with by a friend of a friend. And there's one of my friends, he's now, I think he's going into kindergarten. And he's a really brave kid also. And I'll text with his mom who sent pictures of how he's doing and we'll FaceTime periodically. But he gets infusions now and he read the book and he faces the infusions very bravely now. And he'll reference, there's a picture of me getting an infusion in the book, a drawing. And he'll always reference that when he gets the infusions. And it's really cool to be able to bond with him. And he's an awesome kid. And so I think it makes me really happy to see um, that type of reaction. That must be so rewarding when you hear directly from these kids that are like, hey, actually, this was really, really helpful. Oh, I love that. 
So I think you are the youngest person we have ever talked to that has or was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And I love that you sort of channeled this into a book that's helpful for other kids. But talk a little bit about what that was like. You know, it's like, how were they able to control your disease relatively quickly? Was this still a struggle? It sounds like you had to have some different treatments, but talk a little bit about like how frequent of a flyer were you at the doctor's office? Yeah, for checkups, I go routinely, I think every three to four months. And so that means I'd miss a morning of school. And luckily, I'm from the Boston area, and there's major hospitals that and major IBD centers there. And so I know other people have not gone to IBD centers. And so they've taken longer to get diagnosed or get treated appropriately. But luckily, I had an excellent care team. But in general, I was usually on sulfasalazine, which I called the gummy medicine, because for kids, it was a liquid, and they definitely put a lot of sugar in that. Um, so it tastes good. Um, and recaptopurine, and maybe another one or two, I forget. But that was my maintenance medication and then might go on steroids if there was a flare-up. And when I was younger, this was before biologics were popular or even approved. So I was not on those. But going into, I can talk about leading up into surgery where I had the flare-ups kind of routinely, as I said earlier, that was controlled. And then for this one, on day 25 of being in the hospital, I was going to the bathroom 30 times a day. And so at that point, when this discussion of surgery came up, I was wanting it to be moved closer just because I knew it would provide relief. And my surgeon, who I didn't know going into the hospital, but um, he's been one of my biggest role models and mentors since then, even until now. And I'm in touch with him to this day, even though it's been over 10 years. His bedside manner was incredible. And I felt so comfortable being with him uh, to the point where when I was getting wheeled into the first surgery, my biggest concern wasn't the procedure itself, but it was if he could take a picture of my colon so I could see it afterward. And I still have the picture and it's really interesting to look at. And so I was really hoping for surgery to come sooner um, because of that. And then there's three surgeries for me, at least one was to take out the colon and give an ostomy. And the second was to create what's called a J pouch, which is where the end of the small intestine looks like a J. And that's essentially creating an extra storage pouch for stool. And then the third one is to reconnect and take down the stoma. And going into the first surgery, the mindset is I'm really sick, and then I'm going to get better, uh, symptomatic. And then the third surgery, it's I have the stoma and then it'll get taken down. The second one was interesting going into it because you're going in relatively healthy with a stoma and you're coming out relatively healthy with a stoma, but you still have to go through the surgical recovery. But just knowing that it's a stepping stone for the whole process, I think was the most important aspect to get around it. And in general for surgery, there's some things that are very difficult, but are necessary to do. And the biggest one that I've seen both as a patient and now that I'm a medical student and on surgical rotations is walking after surgery because you have tubes in you, you're feeling run down from a major procedure, but walking really helps you get your juices flowing and helps you heal and get you home quicker. And from a patient side, what I say, especially with kids is walking won't just make you feel better, but it'll get you closer to playing baseball or doing what you like to do. And so really tying it to an interest of yours that you can get back to. And for me, after my first surgery, I remember I stood up and the way the epidural was placed, I had no sensation in one of my legs. So I would have fallen if it wasn't for my dad and the nurse there kind of walking with me. And they said, oh, you can try again tomorrow. But I really taken to heart what my doctor said. And so then I waited an hour or two for the anesthesia or pain team to come and adjust the epidural. And then I walked just to the nurse's station and back. But I was really wanted to do it because I knew how helpful it would be. And then for the second surgery, they said, I'll do a lap. And so I did one and then I kept going into 10. And so it was things like that, that made a huge difference and helped in the recovery. And I think it can be very easy to not do those things, but just knowing how big of an impact something as simple as walking has is important for patients to know. I want to stop you right there real quick 
because what, what you just said is very important. Walking after surgery is so important and it can be easy or it can be super hard. And usually if it's super hard, there's something wrong. Just like you said, like your the placement of your medication was not correct. And so you needed to be seen by the pain team to correct that. And I experienced both. And when everything was good, it was easy for me to walk after surgery. I've had multiple surgeries. I have a JPEG now. And when something was wrong, it was really hard for me to walk after surgery. I just want to say that to everybody's listening. Cause like you said earlier, like everyone has had a different experience with it. And so I don't want anybody to feel shame for not being able to jump right up out of bed and do 10 laps when they've just had major surgery, because we all know that it's super important because you have to listen to your body. Walking is super important, but I've had both situations where I've been able to jump right up and do laps after surgery and where I have not been able to get out of bed for days after surgery. So you have to listen to your body. You have to talk to your doctors, but also I want to encourage you to advocate for yourself. If you are not feeling well after surgery, talk to your doctor talk to your surgeon, talk to your medical team and make sure that nothing else is going on because it could be because you probably should be feeling good enough to walk after surgery. So there could be something else going on there. So just be sure to advocate for yourself and know, just like Adam said, walking is so important and it is going to get you on the road to recovery so much faster. Yeah, that's actually absolutely correct is that you have to know yourself too. So if you're not feeling up to it and you really can't, then you really shouldn't push it and tell your doctor too, because something could be needing to be looked into further. Um, and then something else I didn't mention too much about associated with the surgeries is having an ostomy. And I remember I'm very athletic and I love to play sports kind of all the time. And as a sixth grader, I remember asking the doctors and the nurses, oh, well, with the stoma, will I be able to even play catch or will I just have to sit around all day? Because uh, I was in Little League at the time. And they said, oh, no, you can do Little League. You can do most of your, if not all of your activities that you like to do. And I think that's really important for patients to know, because especially since I've been on surgical rotations in colorectal, where they deal with creating ostomies and pediatric surgery, where they also create ostomies, a lot of patients don't know anything about them, which I didn't going into surgery. And it can be very scary because it's not something that I think most people could conceptualize if they weren't told that this is a, a medical treatment. So with the ostomy, I was going to school like any of the other kids and you wear the ostomy bag that collects stool and you'll empty it a few times a day and you'll change it, which is just taking it off and putting on another one every few days. And I would go to the bathroom and take the same amount of time that any other kid would take. And in a hospital, as a medical student, when patients are apprehensive about the smell is the biggest thing that people ask about. I always say that I was in middle school when I had one and no one commented on the smell. So if I did smell, I would have known about it. And even at Camp Oasis, a few patients had ostomies. There was one in particular where he was dunking on everyone in the pool basketball and he was as excited as anyone else. He had a stoma that he just got placed a few months ago and he's being a kid. And so you have to, you can't go super crazy. Like I would play baseball, but I wouldn't slide on my stomach and I'd be careful with things like showering. I'd cover it with, I used saran wrap, but now I think there's other bands that you can use so it doesn't get wet. So there's definitely some precautions you have to take, but for the most part, you can just be a regular kid or be a regular person with it. Um, I think that's very important for people to understand. Yes. You can swim and rock climb and play sports and there's clothing to help you feel more comfortable. And there's companies that create that just for that, to help you be as active as you want to be with a stoma and an ostomy. 
it's all out there for you to help you live whatever kind of life you want to live. Exactly. I think in general, when it comes to the disease, your confidence should be from how you handle things rather than outcomes, because an outcome like an ostomy is very easy to get devastated by it because it's such a different, well, it could be perceived as such a different way of life. But if you're confident in your ability to say, this is something that happened to me and I'm going to roll with it, and I'm going to make the best of it, then you can have a very happy life with it. And some people get them expecting it to be temporary and medically it could be temporary, but they choose to have it longer because they like not having to go to the bathroom all the time, or they like just the convenience of it. And so I think just in general, you can have a better mood all the time if you're just confident in how you can deal with your disease. And one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book was because I think that kids who have IBD, IBD is their first real life challenge that they're facing. And if they have a tool to overcome this first real life challenge, and they'll have a tool to face any challenges in the future, if they have the same kind of systematic way of thinking about it, or just positive attitude in general. And so I think that's really important for kids to have. Totally agree. I'm curious because I have spent some time around some 12 year olds and they can be not very nice. And so I am curious if like when you were 12 and you're in gym class with some of these kids or these things are happening to you, did you have to explain to kids? Like how did they react to your surgery and to your ostomy at a time when kids are maybe not their best selves, perhaps? That's a really good question. I don't think I told many people about it, actually. And in hindsight, if I was my age now, I think I'd be more open about it. But when I was diagnosed very young, my parents didn't tell anyone about my diagnosis until I was old enough where I could decide if I wanted people to know about it or not. So I think I don't even know if my closest friends knew I had IBD when I was in elementary school. I think they knew I would get sick sometimes. And that was the extent of it. And then the bag is pretty well hidden under clothes. And so many people did not know I had one. Um, It was really only that point after after I had the bag when I was in seventh grade during the GI unit of biology, where I revealed that I had my colon out and I brought the picture of the colon. And I don't even think I mentioned the bag at that point, just that I had the colon out and that I had ulcerative colitis. And so I didn't get made fun of it all. Our kids didn't talk about it at all because they didn't know about it. Since other people have brought up that they had wanted pictures of their colons or that they had pictures of their colons, what was it like? I know I'm super curious about it. Oh, to look at? Like, was it all upset at you? Because I mean, Robin's like, her surgeon said hers just sort of like disintegrated in his hands. And so what what did it look like? This one, it definitely looked very inflamed where it was a darker red color Mm -hmm. pretty much all throughout as opposed to kind of a pinkish color that it should have been. And that's kind of all I would see up until medical school. And then I learned about in school, there are certain signs that the colon will have, like normally it's supposed to have haustra, which are kind of like a bubbly appearance. But then in ulcerative colitis, there's something called a lead pipe sign where the top part of the colon, the transverse colon is really straight without the bubbly appearance. And that was very clearly seen in my picture. And so it just kind of need to correlate it to what I'm learning about now. And kind of what I was talking about earlier with the hospital being associated with pride, kind of seeing how inflamed it was um, and knowing that I handled it very well as a kid, kind of seeing it also made me feel proud. I love that, that you've associated the hospital and your experiences with pride. I think that that is super important and definitely resilient as well. So, and that's, that's very, very cool. And that is really, you said that sort of led you thinking you wanted to become a doctor. And so talk a little bit about that process, getting into medical school, being somebody who's living with inflammatory bowel disease in medical school. And then how did you decide on your specialty that you're interested in? That's a great question. Uh, In college, I think, I guess it starts earlier, but in college, I reached out to a couple of doctors, a couple of my doctors to gain research experience, because that's one big step in uh, helping you get into medical school, both for the knowledge and for uh, the CV 
is having research. And it was my pediatric surgeon who said that in the department, there were physicians that needed a student. And so pretty much all my school breaks, I was in his department doing research. um, And I loved what we were doing. I love kind of working with your hands. And even though um, I was learning suturing and not tying because we were working with mice at the time. And so I could practice the suture surgical techniques on the mice. And then I would go to all the clinical meetings at the residents who are the doctors in training would go to. And so I loved learning about the different diseases um, that can be corrected surgically. And it was kind of interesting too, because I would hear about different patient stories really for the first time in these clinical meetings. And sometimes I think, oh, wow, I, that sounds terrible. I can't imagine what that patient was going through. And I think about it for a minute and I think, oh, I had the same exact thing happen to me, but I didn't really view it as negatively at the time because I was just so focused on kind of doing what I could to get better. And so it is interesting that perspective when you see it versus when you're actually going through it. But all of those interests definitely confirm my interest in medicine. And then the start of school, I was knew that I wanted to deal with the abdomen, but I didn't know if I wanted to do the medicine side or the surgical side or pediatric versus adult. And we went through our rotations and I gravitated more to towards the surgical side. So I like general surgery and from a general surgery residency, which is the further training that I'm applying into, you can do colorectal, which is a lot of adult IBD cases and some other diseases or pediatric surgery and a number of others. But one question I was definitely curious about was I have the J pouch, so I do have to go to the bathroom a little more than other people and drink more water. And is that, does that fit with a career as a surgeon? And I asked around to a lot of surgeons at my institution and elsewhere, and they said, absolutely. And I know my body work, and I've done four to five months of surgery rotations already, and I know that um, I can handle it. And if I need to step away, they're absolutely fine with that. And they'll say uh, women will step away for breastfeeding, for example, and that's totally fine. And um, other doctors for the longer cases, of course, they can step away for a minute. And that's all right, because there's other people to supervise in the room or they could pause for a minute. Um, and I even connected with a colorectal surgeon and a pediatric surgeon who both have J pouches. And so they were telling me about their experiences and providing reassurance that they have no doubt that a medical student with a J pouch can go on to be a successful doctor. And so that was incredible to hear about. I love that. I love that there's like you created like a network that you can talk to about, you know, what are the tips and pointers and things that they do. So that's so cool. Were they open about their disease? Like, how did you find them? Yes, one of them, one of my pediatric surgery mentors connected me with this one with a other pediatric surgeon. And then it was actually my dad said that he had a work colleague who had a family member who saw this other one. Um, and so I found him online um, and then kind of emailed them both. And so that's how we got connected. I mean, I zoomed with one of them and then I just messaged the other one. But it was really interesting to see yeah. um, their stories. And I think the, both of them got their J pouches around the time they were in medical school. And so it was really interesting to hear their stories. Yeah, that is super interesting. What a great idea to to create that network for yourself. That's super cool. Also, I think is one thing is really powerful is being a medical student and on the medical team and then telling patients about my experiences, I think is incredible to see. And I don't tell every patient, I only tell the ones that I think would understand that not every patient experiences something similar and understands kind of what their condition is and what the kind of future options could be. But a lot of them can be very scared ahead of time just because so much is unknown. And without me saying too much at first, just that I've had a similar procedure as them and that them seeing that I'm a medical student providing care and the implication is that I've healed a lot. And now the other side, I think is really powerful for them. And of course, it's not the end all be all because they are having major changes to their life that takes a lot of adjusting. But I think just seeing someone they can relate to helps them know that there is hope that they'll be close to like a regular person or, or they will be a regular person at the end. It's very important for the kids, but 
I'm going to speak up for the parents too. I'm sure that has a huge impact for the parents as well, knowing that their child who has been living with a chronic illness can grow up and be a doctor, which means they can grow up and be anything. You know, that mindset that this is not something that's going to keep them from doing whatever they want. Because sometimes as a parent, when your child is diagnosed with something like this, you you blame yourself. You don't know what to do to help your child. You don't know how to make them better. And seeing somebody like you there taking care of their child thriving has to have an impact, a very strong impact for the parent as well as for the child. I'm going to bring you back a little bit. I do want to touch on this because we kind of talked a little bit about your surgery and I want to dive into what was it like, because you said specifically that you wanted your surgery to come sooner. Like you, as a sixth grader, as a 12 year old, you're like, you wanted to move your surgery up. You knew that it would make you feel better. But what was that conversation like for you and your parents? Like, how did that go because technically your parents are making that decision for you because you are a minor. That's a conversation between your parents and your surgeon, but you're old enough at 12 that they're going to talk to you about this. So how did that all go to where you talk to them to say like, yes, I want this surgery. It is going to make me feel better to where they felt comfortable with that decision as well. And so when my parents and my doctor talked about surgery, I don't remember if I was a part of that discussion or not, because I was so young. uh, But they had the discussion that surgery was really the only option, given that I tried a lot of medications that didn't work. And there were other ones that you could try, but the risks of taking them versus the benefits of them potentially were working and then getting the symptoms again soon. Uh, It seemed like surgery was the best option. And I don't remember the discussion of when I was actually told that I would need surgery, but I just remember knowing that I would need surgery within the next few days, kind of as soon as that the doctor could do it and running to the bathroom 30 plus times a day tied to the IV and bad stomach pain. And I was vomiting a lot that I really just wanted the surgery as soon as possible. And I couldn't be moved up due to a lot of the planning that goes into the surgery and I guess logistics of when you can eat and things like that. But it wasn't that I was scared or worried or needed a big discussion on why the surgery was important. I understood at that age that it would help a lot and nothing else could help. And so I was all for it. So you found out you were having surgery and like just a few days later, you were going to, you had surgery. Is that yes. how it went? Okay. Cause that's when I had my colon removed, I found out on a Sunday and had surgery on a Wednesday, basically is how it happened. So I was the same way. I was like, please give me surgery right now. But I was also an adult. Had they already sort of introduced the possibility of surgery to you already when had your doctor sort of said, hey, like, here's all of the things that we might do? That part, I don't remember. They must have. Okay. But just because I was so young, I don't remember that. Yeah. And if yeah. he did, maybe it was to my parents instead of me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, 12 years old is is still pretty aware and, cog- you know, cognizant of what's happening. I mean, I know my my niece is 13 and almost 14 now and the nothing gets by that girl unless she's on watching YouTube and then other stuff does get by her. But, you know, I mean, 12 year olds are, are still can be fairly active in their care. And so I think it's, you know, I think it's important for doctors to talk to patients as well as their parents to say, hey, here's the deal. You know, like you're especially having it for 10 years at that point, like <laughs> you had a lot of experience to be able to fall back on. So I think, I don't know, it's it's interesting. It must be difficult. Again, I, always, I don't have children, so I'm going to qualify that because like, you know, I don't know what it's like to have a child. I don't know what it's like to make decisions for somebody 
else other than myself. And that must be incredibly intimidating as a parent to say, I'm going to make this decision for my child that has these big ripples potentially for the rest of their life. Like removing your colon is a big, it's a big deal. You know, it's not your appendix where it's, you don't really need that sucker. I always come back to that because, you know, I mean, everybody who listens knows that I am a mom. And so I always, from both perspectives, the moms that we've talked to, the parents that we've talked to, and the patients that we've talked to who are diagnosed with as kids whose parents basically had to make those decisions for them. Right. So, but it sounds like you were like, yes, let's, let's get to it. Yes. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a patient that we had with Crohn's disease and he was very, very sick and he had surgery, which I was a part of to take out the sick bowel. And then a couple of days later, he was still in pain from recovering from surgery, but the sick disease part was gone and he was on the road to recovery and he was eating. And it's just amazing to see the turnaround from surgery. And I think it can be very scary when people focus on the procedure itself, but knowing what's on the other end is really promising. And also at the time, I think what helped a lot going into surgery was I was no stranger to hospitals and the doctor. And I had an immense amount of trust in the hospital and the doctors. And I knew how much they'd prepared their whole life for surgery and how much they studied IBD and had a lot of confidence in the doctors. And so that made me more relaxed going into surgery. And I remember even before one of the procedures, I was playing a game like Tetris on my dad's Palm Pilot because um, I was in the pre-op room just because I was going into surgery and that was just something to do. It wasn't a big deal or anything. So I think that was helpful. And uh, something about the post-op that I didn't mention also is when you have IBD or when you have surgeries, you're limited when you're acutely sick. And there's a lot of things you can't do and times you can't do anything. And so now I really appreciate and take advantage of when I am feeling well and when I can do stuff, which fortunately for me is most of the time now. But even if it's something like when I'm playing softball um, and I'm running out to center field, I kind of take it all in and just I'm glad to do what I'm doing. Or with like working at the hospital, I really can I give it my all because I know I have the ability to, and it feels really good to kind of see what see what you got. I love that you went and you read the book to all of the kids at Camp Oasis. I think that's super cool. I'm curious, what were the other things that really resonated with the kids? What were the topics that came up? That's great. One was definitely being stuck on the toilet for a long time. And in the book, my examples were uh, my dad and I would tell stories about superhero animals to pass the time. And that worked a lot. And then at one point, my class was learning to multiply and add two-digit numbers. That, yeah, two-digit numbers and I was worried I'd fall behind. And so instead of talking about the superhero animals, he would write problems on a piece of paper and talk me through them through the door. And so I learned how to do those type of math problems that way. And then by the time I got back to school, I was actually ahead of some of my classmates in math or most of them. And I always feel proud when doing those problems because I associated them with learning on the toilet. Um, and then even as an adult in medical school, there was a tiny period where I had a stricture, which is a narrowing of the bowel. And it was corrected with a 10 minute very minor procedure but I had symptoms for a bit before we found that issue. And so sometimes I'd bring a textbook into the bathroom to read it because I'd be going back and forth from the bathroom every page and I couldn't learn that way. And the book page from my younger experience kind of inspired me in the older one. And I think kids really resonated with that. And one of the questions in the back of the book is how can you uh, pass the time while on the toilet other than using a phone? Because I know that's the big thing that the kids use these days. And so hearing that was important. Um, getting infusions was another big one. 
because kids won't like the needles or will be scared of them or won't like just the waiting the whole time while you're there because it can take a while. And so it was neat to see one kid would say, oh, yeah, I get these infusions. And then someone would say, oh, I get them too. Um, and then they would talk about all of that. And so I thought that was great. Or even going to the nurse. A lot of the kids go to the nurse and so they could resonate with knowing that other people do also. My dog likes to come and join me when she thinks I'm going to be in the bathroom for a while. And she just sits at my feet and then like puts her head on my leg and then sits at my feet and then puts her head on my leg. Like she just alternates. She's like, okay, you can pet me now. Okay, stop petting me. Okay, you can pet me now. Okay, stop petting me. And then brings me toys. She's like, okay, how much longer are you going to be? That's what happens. And I'm going to be there in a while. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. No phone, just dogs. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, I know. It's good to have a companion like that. (laughs) Dogs are the best. Yes. Yes, they really are. And with the book, the target population is to about sixth or seventh grade, but I read it to cabins in elementary school age, middle school age, and even high school age. And they all connected with it really well. And it was interesting where the high school age might have been more reflecting on some experiences that they had when they were younger and making connections to current ones when they were older. But I would hear even to the 10th graders them say, oh, I can relate to that uh, to different parts of it. And so I thought that was really meaningful too, that even though it's designed for younger kids and the pictures are for younger kids, uh, really anyone can relate to it. Have you thought about doing a version for older kids? I thought about it. Actually, I drafted a script for a surgery one at the same time I wrote this one, but I didn't have time to illustrate illustrate it. And I was thinking if that one would be made eventually, it could be more like a comic because I think the surgery is more common with the older kids. So it could use the same text, but be more kind of graphic than with the crayons. Well, I think the message of your book though, is still something that's really important for older kids, you know, that being able to take pride in your resilience, being able to take pride in how you're handling this complicated, you know, kind of difficult thing. That's a really good lesson for people to learn. It's a really good thing for people to celebrate that resilience. And so, and I would imagine, you know, sometimes especially teenagers need that reminder because it's it's hard to be a teenager on the best of days. And so, you know, it's a good reminder for, for kids to, regardless of their age, I think. So Adam, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Like, honestly, you are a delight, but it's time for me to ask you the last question. So what is the one thing that you want the IBD community to know? The biggest thing that I want the IBD community to know is that it can be easy to be embarrassed about GI symptoms, but like we've been talking about all day, um, it's really important that patients feel proud about how they've overcome their health challenges, especially because they're not challenges that we've picked yet. We're facing them head on and we're living a normal life despite what we're facing. That is the truth. I mean, everybody poops and everybody has gas, burps, all of those things. I even say everybody has maybe gone to the bathroom in their pants too. You know, we were all babies once, even if you haven't done it recently, you've all done it at least once in your life. So we need to normalize that being able to talk about it and experience it and not be embarrassed by it. Thank you again, Adam, for coming on the show. Honestly, such a delight. We're going to share your book. In our show notes, everybody, there's going to be a link to Adam's book in the show notes. Go get it. Uh, thank it. you again, both of you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. And the book was Up and Adam, a patient's experience on winning with IBD. And it's available on the Barnes & Noble website and the profits are donated to IBD organizations. Well, and one thing we didn't mention, but when I was looking up information on this, you have an email address where people can interact with you. Like if they have questions or they want to know more about you or know more about the book, you set up an email address so like you're accessible to people. 
people within reason, everybody. He's in medical school though. So just calm down. But I love that you made yourself available for families that may want you to help their child. So I think that's super cool. Oh yeah. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. It's yeah, Adam IBD story at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Within reason, everyone, he's in medical school. Let him be a doctor. But I love that you that you're making yourself accessible to folks. So Adam, so much fun talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And thank you everybody else for listening to the show. And cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Hi, this is Adam. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and share it with your friends.